Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Welcome to week two of our journey through the life of Noah. We are actually recording in the exact same location at the exact same time of day as we did last week. Um, but what a difference a week makes with this weather. Uh, this is pr- quite possibly the foggiest sermon I've ever um, had to give um, and also the coldest. Uh, last week we looked at some context contrasts and controversies surrounding Genesis 6 through 9, the story of Noah, his ark, and the flood. And today we're going to be looking at some of the the practical implications of this story. Now we're not going to get through the whole story, but we'll get to the end of the flood. And next week we'll read the latter portion of chapter 9 with the rainbow and also Noah drinking too much. In the finale next week, we'll also look at some of the deep theological questions that arise from this story and so it is sure to be a good time don't miss next week Um, so let's dive into the story if you have your bibles turn to genesis chapter 6 it's the first book of the bible just six chapters in and we're going to start at verse 8 but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord this is the account of noah and his family noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But Noah found favor. The Hebrew word here for favor is the word grace. Okay, in Hebrew it's chen. And it says that Noah found God's grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When the text says Noah is righteous, it doesn't mean that he has earned his way into God's favor or that he has earned the right to not be spared. Rather, it indicates that God takes careful note of Noah's righteousness. Righteous actions matter. They are noted by God. Your righteous act in sacrificially loving your children matters to God. Your righteous acts in loving your neighbor matters to God. Your righteous acts of praying for your enemies matters to God. God always takes careful note of righteousness, and he does so here in the story of Noah. The Bible says that he was righteous, he was blameless among the people, and he walked faithfully with God. I love that image, walking with God. See, in the chapter before, in Genesis chapter 5, we read about another man who walked with God. His name was Enoch. In verse 24, verse chapter 5 says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. Imagine that. He and God go on a walk one day, and God says, we're closer to my house than we are your house, so let's keep going. It's beautiful. Uh, How many of you know that you go on walks with people that you know? Right? You, go, you go on walks with people that you know. It's a way to grow in your relationship, to build your intimacy, your connection with one another, and you're heading in the same direction. Uh, you know that you don't go on walks with people that you don't know. Right? I dare you to do this sometime. You see somebody walking by your house, just run out there and just go, hey, and you start walking alongside of them. And they're like, um, do I know you? And you're like, no, no, but how's your day? What's going on? Tell me about it. Uh, they would be so freaked out. It would be funny but you only walk with those that you're close with. 
And I want you to think about this. For 500 years, Noah built a relationship with God in a culture that was headed in the exact opposite direction. And he walked with God among the difficult surroundings. With all the distractions and detours that we have in our own lives, we can see in Noah a picture of faithfulness and friendship with God because they walked together. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it. Leave below, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, no statement is made about the righteousness of the other seven people that are included on the ark, right? Noah's wife um, and his, his boys and their wives. Uh, either they too were righteous like Noah and they too walked with God or God spared them because of the righteousness of Noah. Verse 19, you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Now, we are so familiar with this story. It is, it is easy to just to pass and to breeze past this unbelievable and incomparable faith that Noah displays in such extremely difficult circumstances. I am certain that Noah had lots of questions for God, like, like how do I build a boat? Okay, Noah wasn't a shipbuilder. And then also, what is rain? Because in Genesis chapter two, verse five, it, it says that, that rain had not shown up yet. God hadn't sent rain. Noah probably thought, how am I gonna round up all these animals? How are they not gonna kill each other? How do I convince my family that this is really God and what you want? Noah probably had a thousand questions for God. And here's what I want us to see. Noah didn't know the answer to most questions he had when he started building, but he began building anyway. Noah didn't have all the answers. All he had was questions. All he had was a promise. We don't have to wait for the answers before we step out in faith. Hear that again, church. We don't have to. You don't have to wait for all the answers, all the boxes to be checked before we step out in faith. But I think building a boat, it, I think it's a bit like being a parent. When you bring home your first child, you have no idea what you're getting into, okay? You don't know how to do anything. Uh, I had never changed a diaper before I had kids. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, like trying to hold both legs and, and which way do I wipe? I'm not quite sure. Those first few weeks, 
I was learning something new every day. I didn't know that you had for if you have a baby boy, you gotta gotta cover them so that they don't pee in your face. Okay, I learned that lesson real fast. Parents of boys, can I get an amen? Okay, I had lots of questions about parenting, but we figured it out. Our love for our baby propelled us to be the best parents we could be. And then when my daughter Ivy came around about four years later, I was a professional diaper changer, okay? I was like like a cowboy roping a steer, okay? Okay, you grab both legs with one hand and you wipe that booty and then you put that diaper on. It's, it's, I, was a, I was perfect at it. I probably forgot by now. But it was second nature. Noah, he didn't know the answer to most questions he had when he started building, but he began building anyway. And he began building while being surrounded by a culture that was going the opposite direction. And Noah, he was more than just a man with a boat and animals. Verse 22, it just, it blows my mind. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He obeyed. He did everything. He displayed obedience. Now, this word obedience, why is it that focusing on Noah's obedience just sounds a bit harsh, right? Like it would be a whole lot easier if we said, well, because of Noah's love for God, he, he built it to the exact specifications that God commanded. Like that sounds better, but this obedience, this command obey language almost has a negative connotation with it. But the story of Noah is one of obedience and we can't get around this. The scriptures teach obedience on every page. Check out this verse in 1 John in the New Testament. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. There seems to be a connection between obedience and love. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This command and obey language it doesn't sound like love to me, right? Like we would never use this kind of language in our daily lives. Like I would never say to Sarah, hey Sarah, tomorrow is trash day, so go take the trash out to the street. I command you. And she says, no. And I said, but if you love me, you will obey my commands. And she would say, if you love me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. And she would be right. Right? But even in a relationship where someone is paid to serve you, we don't even use that language, right? Like, for example, at a restaurant, I go up to the waitress or the waiter and say, I command you to bring me a menu. And then when you tip them, you say, well, because you obeyed so well, I am going to give you a tip. We would never do that. And, and they are actually paid to serve us. What is this passage saying? Why does obedience come across like a dictator and not like our first love? I think the very next verse in 1 John really lets us in on this. It says this, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The teachings of God are not burdensome. Jesus says that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's the connection between the obedience and love. Love makes commands light. Love makes commands light. We see this throughout the scripture, but we see it in a great way with the story of Jacob and Rachel later on in the book of Genesis. 
We read this in chapter 29. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. What a burden to have to work every day, seven years, every single day to pay off a debt to marry the one you love. But it seemed like days for him because of love. Love made the burden light. It was easy for him. What was once a burdensome command has now become so light and it was done with joy. Why? How? Love. Obedience propels us in our walk with God and we see this in Noah. Love makes commands light. Noah knew this truth, so he gave his life to building a boat that he didn't know how to build. Obedience seems hard, but Obedience is so much easier than any other tactic of navigation. Obedience is so much better than your best plan to get where you're going. God's plan is always best. Do what God says. Let's continue the story. Verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came and entered the ark as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, and on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So there were eight people on the boat. Uh, the word for boat in the Chinese language is this. Okay, don't ask me to pronounce it, I have no idea. The Chinese language is one of the oldest that we have on planet Earth. It actually predates uh, the canonical scriptures. It predates the Bible. And the word for boat is three words put together in Chinese. Vessel, eight, and people. Now, how many people were on the ark? Eight. Now, some Christians use this as proof that the ancient Chinese knew of Noah and the story of the flood well before the Bible was even constructed. Now, there's certainly some debate from etymologists and uh, language experts um, that kind of disregard this line of thinking, but I think it's interesting regardless, right? Verse 21, every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Notice there was no steering wheel or rudder uh, to make the boat go where you wanted it to go. If it had one, God would have said so. God would have given Noah those instructions. It was a literally kind of like a, a Jesus take the wheel kind of boat ride. Okay, and a few more observations. Noah was crazy. And as Christ followers, we should get comfortable with crazy. Now, there's nothing wrong with being called crazy under the right circumstances. I remember sitting in my living room on the ottoman with a group of dreamers. It's incredible people, men and women of the Lord. 
and we begin to dream and talk out loud about what it would mean, what it would look like to plant a church in our city. We call it prodigal church. It would be for the rebellious and it would be a church for the religious. And it would be a, a church that invites everyone into the party to experience the love of God, the kingdom that he has called us to bring. And one of the leaders in the middle of this conversation, he said, he said, this is crazy. This is crazy. He may have even used a, a bit more colorful language, um, but he was right. Uh, it was crazy to think that we could start something out of nothing, that if people actually would come to our church, that we would know what to do. But sometimes crazy is the calling of Christ followers. Jesus was called crazy in Mark 3, and no doubt Noah was being called crazy. There wasn't water around. Rain didn't even exist. People walk by and go, there's that crazy guy Noah constructing a boat in the middle of the desert. No doubt Noah was called crazy. So number one, get comfortable with crazy. Number two, count on confirmation. Count on confirmation. Now this is so important. Confirmation is God's memorably creative way of repeating something that he's already told you. That's confirmation. Oh, and it's so true for us as Christ followers. God will confirm again and again, often when you most need it. Confirmation is a gift God gives us on the days when our circumstances might make us feel like we're crazy. God gives us confirmation to rescue us on these difficult days. In verse 18 of chapter 6, God says to Noah, I will confirm my covenant with you. It was, it, Noah had lots of confirmations and we need more than one. I have needed confirmation again and again from God. It was confirmation when he saw lions walking up the ramp with rabbits. That's confirmation. How did the, the door of the ark, this, this massive ramp, uh, how did it get closed with everyone inside? Well, the text says that the Lord closed the door behind them. That was confirmation. And an important side note, God doesn't close a door to keep you from enjoying paradise out there. God closes a door to keep you from drowning in the rain on the other side. God closes doors to open new ones better ones that you never dreamed of. Confirmation is a gift that is opened by the obedient. Noah's like, how are we going to close this door? Boom, it closes. Another confirmation begins to rain. Boom. There were all kinds of confirmations that God gave Noah on his journey. So if you're looking for rainbows, you'll miss the lions, the rabbits, the rain, and the doors. See, the rainbow comes at the end of the story. It comes after the flood. It doesn't happen before. God doesn't show the rainbow before the flood. He doesn't show it in the middle of the flood. He shows it and displays it at the end of the flood, after the flood. So if you're looking for rainbows, you're going to miss all the other confirmations that God's trying to show you here and now. Count on confirmation. And over the years here at Prodigal, God has used so many of you as a confirmation for Sarah and I. You have been our lions and our rabbits. You have been our rain. You have been our closed doors and our open doors. You, watching this online, listening to this podcast, 
God has used you in countless ways to be an agent of confirmation. And we want to say thank you for your belief in us. We so look forward to experiencing God's rainbows, God's promises, the light of the sun on dry land after we get off this boat and the floodwaters cease. We so look forward. And the, the, the prodigal church has a bright future because of you. And lastly, I'd like to leave you with some questions for you to ponder personally. Perhaps maybe even during this, this last closing song, would you ponder these questions? In what ways is God confirming your calling? In what ways are you being obedient to your call in this life? How are you living the life of radical and scandalous love in our world? And that's not crazy, that's Christian.